Welcome to the Cultural Life of the Nobel Prize in Literature podcast, where we explore the literature prize's social, ideological, and institutional functions as the most recognized literary honor in the world. Amidst mounting skepticism towards the legitimacy and credibility of the Nobel as an arbiter of global literary excellence, its status as the preeminent literary prize remains. However, our understanding of the uses of the literature prize's prestige has yet to be fully fleshed out. We believe it is important to think about what we stand to gain and lose by preserving the global significance of the Nobel. So in this podcast series, we speak with scholars and writers from around the world to discuss the Nobel Prize in Literature's prominence as a signifier of meaning, a structuring of discourse, and even a narrative motif in different cultures and societies. Welcome to the Cultural Life of the Nobel Prize in Literature podcast. Today we have Duncan Bartlett. He's a rock music journalist for the New Musical Express. Um, he has written about Bob Dylan for the Wall Street Journal and made programs about his music for the BBC and ITN. Uh, as a current affairs journalist, uh, Duncan edits the monthly magazine Asian Affairs and hosts the weekly podcast China in Context made by SOAS China Institute, University of London, where he also works as a research associate. Yes, so uh, thank you, Bart, uh, Duncan, for coming up on this podcast. And um, maybe we can just start with you as an observer of Bob Dylan, and also maybe just to gauge your reaction about his Nobel Prize win, because after all, this is... Uh, a podcast about the Nobel Prize in literature. So yeah, what was your reaction about Bob Dylan's Nobel Prize win? Well, personally, I was delighted because I'm a great Bob Dylan enthusiast. I've been listening to Bob Dylan's music since I was 13 years old. And actually, by the time I left school at about the age of 17, I had not all, but a lot of Bob Dylan's albums, and I could quote a lot of his songs. I'd seen Bob Dylan live in the early 1980s as well. That wasn't his best time in terms of his creativity, but, you know, it gave me a window into some incredible music and lyrics. Uh, and I've, I've retained a keen interest in him ever since. So when I'd heard that he won the Nobel Prize for Literature, I thought, good, other people are recognising how great he is. But then there was this rather strange period where Dylan seemed to be a bit... Uh, reluctant to go and pick up the prize. He did do so eventually, but he was quite quiet about it. And people thought that perhaps he was uh, rejecting the Nobel Prize. And it reminded me of a situation back in the 1960s when Dylan was awarded a prize for civil liberties in 1963. Uh, and what happened in that occasion was that there was a, a dinner thrown for him at a posh hotel in New York. And it sounds as though Dylan got himself a bit drunk and he gave a speech, which I think was quite inappropriate because it was a liberal group of uh, people who'd given him this prize. And he said that he identified with the killer of President Kennedy, Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, and apparently the chairman was kicking Dylan under the table. Booze were filling the hall. Um, and, and Dylan recalls that the people at the dinner uh, were, 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 were basically being very hypocritical Um it wasn't a good experience for him. He ended up being very heavily criticised in the press. Uh, and I think that that's given him a wariness 
of accepting awards and prizes and giving speeches ever since, actually. He's never been a great enthusiast for that. He has had prizes, including a Grammy and an Oscar. But a literary prize and a speech uh, with the um, glare of the in the glare of the television cameras, it's not the sort of environment that he likes. And that's why, in the end, he ended up going to pick up the uh, Nobel Prize from the committee in private in Stockholm. Now, you mentioned that it reminded you of, you know, how he has a track record of not really will not willing to accept honors of sorts. Yeah. Is that what you're driving towards? He has accepted them. Uh, he took the Légion d'honneur in yeah, France from the French president. I think he got a, a special uh, presidential medal, which he picked up from President Obama in the White House. But, you know, he's 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 playing gigs every night. And I'm sure, you know, when he's in Cincinnati or something, the local poetry society would like to give him an award or the mayor would like to give him the freedom of the city or something like that. And he's reluctant to accept those sort of honours. I think he wants to be judged primarily on two things, the records he releases and, of course, the concerts that he plays. OK, yeah. So it seems like he would accept... The, the big ones, right? The prestigious ones. And I, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like the Nobel Prize is the biggest of them all in terms of like one of the cultural prizes, the biggest of them all, right? Especially in literature. And so maybe something, something you also mentioned earlier is, is the, the type of award that he was given um, by the Nobel Prize that was maybe contributed to his hesitance, right? Which is, it's a literature prize. And so what do you think about that? Like, do you share also his sort of hesitance towards the literature prize? Is it because is it literature prize, therefore he's hesitant? Well, literature seems to be interpreted in a fairly broad way by the Nobel Prize Committee. So if you go back to the end of the Second World War, they actually gave the literature prize to, to Winston Churchill. Now, Winston Churchill did write history books. But the prize was actually for his speeches, which had rallied uh, people, particularly British people, of course, during the Second World War. And he, uh, Winston Churchill was a great orator, but he wasn't a he wasn't a novelist or a poet. So, um, you know, different years uh, mean different winners and they're cited. They're, sorry, let me just take that again. So I think each year the Nobel Prize Literature Committee tries to uh, give a specific reason why it's chosen uh, that person to uh, receive the prize. So, for example, uh, Peter Handke, the writer, uh, won a prize recently for influential work with linguistic ingenuity that, that explored the periphery and the specificity of human experience. Well, that's a very sort of literary way of putting things. Um, uh, Dylan received his prize for having created new poetic expressions within the great American song tradition. Well, that's definitely true. He, he works within a tradition of song. Um, and the Nobel Prize Committee pointed out that Dylan's songs are rooted in American folk music, but they're also influenced by poets of modernism and the beatnik movement. The, the criticism, I think, is that by separating Dylan's poetry from his songs, you're not fully appreciating what he's doing artistically. And furthermore, if you just listen to the songs on the record, don't hear them performed live, uh, you know, and don't see them in the context of uh, 
his uh, entire recorded output or the different tours he's done. Again, I think you're going to be missing something uh, from Dylan. But, you know, it's a huge body of work. There are many albums, hundreds of songs. Uh, there's a lot to enjoy there. Uh, but it can also be a bit bewildering if you're at the beginning of the process wondering where to start. Mm. So I suppose you almost feel like it's almost feel like that um, Bob Dylan was actually misrecognized for getting the literature prize, right? Like you mentioned, if you're just separating his words from the music and a band and with melodies and stuff, you're not really appreciating his the entirety of his artistic expression. So um, would, would you say that this is like a misrecognition for Bob Dylan? Like, yes, he is getting the biggest prize in literature, but it's not the prize that really fits him. And therefore it's almost a little bit of like a, a look at this respect even, you know, like, uh, do, you th- do you think so? Or is it like, would you think otherwise? Well, the New York Times uh, gave its reaction when uh, Dylan won the Nobel Prize. It said, yes, Bob Dylan is a brilliant lyricist. He's written a book of prose uh, and he's written an autobiography. It is possible to analyse his lyrics as poetry, but Mr. Dylan's writing is inseparable from his music. Well, I agree with that. He's a great musician. And I think you have to hear the things together, really, to, to fully appreciate it. I don't think the Nobel Prize people were saying we must only look at books of Dylan's poetry printed upon mm. the page. I think they would encourage people to, uh, to to listen to the songs. I thought it was interesting in the speech that Dylan gave um, in which he uh, talked about, uh, well, after he got the prize, he recorded a speech, an mm. appreciation, and he cited some of the books that he uh, had, had said that he'd been inspired by, um, works of uh, ancient Greece, um, Moby Dick. Um, uh, but he also talked about some of the music that he liked. And he, he talked very specifically about Buddy Holly, who was one of the early generations of rock and rollers. Dylan saw Buddy Holly in, I think, uh, Minnesota in the early 1960s when Dylan was about 18 perhaps even earlier than that, actually. And he reckons that um, Buddy Holly looked him in the eye and passed on a legacy to him. Well, if you listen to Buddy Holly, the songs are absolutely great. They set the template for rock and roll, and they're still wonderful. Buddy Holly sadly died, uh, I think he was 21, in a plane crash. Uh, you know, if I read the... If I read the um, uh, you know, the lyrics off the page, well, I'm just a poor young boy. These girls drive me wild. Um it doesn't really sound like poetry. But if you hear Buddy Holly delivering it on those records with all the sort of early echoey rock and roll production, you just think, oh, this is marvellous. So I think there is a danger here of um, elevating the, the sort of enjoyable, fun side of rock and roll uh, to, to this uh, literary level, you know, talking about the, the, the Dylan in, in, in the same kind of language as you might apply to... Uh, a poet or a novelist from Tanzania, um, it, it, it can make the material seem inaccessible and irrelevant. And actually, anybody who's fallen in love or anybody likes to dance or anybody who's uh, thinking about the uh, sadness of growing older or getting divorced, Dylan's got a song for every occasion, actually. Now, what's interesting, what you mentioned is two things. Number one is um, you feel like there might be a danger of elevating Dylan's lyrics or basically like he is a pop song writer, like at least 
when he was the most popular and like blowing the wind like these are like pop songs and like what you're saying is there might be a danger of elevating that to a level of highbrow like and accessible literature but what's interesting about a nobel prize i feel like is yes is a very uh prestigious prize but is also kind of serving as a means for introducing high literature to the masses right it's like it, it elevates these writers especially obscure ones into celebrities for a period of time at least for like one year or something and so i feel like there's also that effect of maybe the Nobel Prize is not really uh, an, a canonizing prize itself, but more so of just producing literary celebrities. I think there's one per possibility of that. Um, uh, another thing I want to uh, add as well is you mentioned about how like Bob Dylan's lyrics when you're being uh, categorized as world-class literature, you are limiting it to, or, or conflating it to poetry. But I'm also wondering that maybe the prize is actually expanding the definition of literature in that sense. You know, just like what you mentioned earlier about Winston Churchill. I mean, yeah, so these are speeches, but are there not also immense amounts of literary devices when he's writing these speeches that makes them powerful? That's a good point. And it's certainly true that Dylan uses an immense amount of literary devices in his work. Absolutely true. I'm not sure that the Nobel Prize elevates the winners to the level of celebrities. I mean, mm. if you take this week's, uh, this year's winner, uh, Abdul Razak uh, Gurner, I mean, I wouldn't really say that he was a household name here in the UK. <laughs> I don't know how many people in, right. in Hong Kong read him. For sure. uh, I mean, he, he was cited for his uncompromising and compassionate penetration of the effects of colonialism and the fate of the refugee in the gulf between cultures and continents very specific reason that he won that, actually. Um, the, the, the citation for Dylan was pretty broad, wasn't it? He brought new new poetic forms to the, to the American uh, songwriting tradition. Um, you know, I think if I could give an example about the problems of, of prize winners, um, I'm interested in economics, and I went to a conference about economics recently, and there was a Nobel Prize winning economist who was giving a speech. I thought, well, they have, they'll be worth hearing because, you know, they won the Nobel Prize in economics. Surely they'll have something to say that's really relevant to me. I won't say who the, who the, who the, <laughs> who the <laughs> economist was, but I have to say I could understand nothing of it. I really couldn't. Um, and I have been, you know, writing about economics uh, and I'm working for The Economist magazine, actually, uh, at the moment, doing some teaching about uh, economics and politics. But I couldn't understand what the Nobel Prize winner was saying. And I actually thought, well, if I was at the beginning of uh, my, um, uh, you know, curiosity about economics, that would have really put me off. I, I mean, to be fair, the economics I'm interested in is about human emotion rather than algebra. So I, I, I do take it. To, and I did used to write about rock and roll. So I'm not a great expert on uh, on economic theory. Um, but, you know, there is a danger that if you, uh, you know, raise, you know, if you put something that's very technical in front of students and say, this is the great person who uh, has this uh, deep understanding and has been awarded a Nobel Prize. You must listen to them. Um, <laughs> you know, that's very off-putting, actually. Uh, the, the thing about Bob Dylan was not that he was, you know, 
in the 1960s at least, you know, the good thing was that he wasn't being sort of praised by the establishment as being part of the um, you know, great canon of literature. You know, the students were feeling that they were rebellious actually by listening to, to Dylan and that he was um breaking the rules um and you know raising a finger actually to the literary establishment that was how people felt about him i think with reflection you can see that he was actually working and is still working very much within a tradition yeah i mean i i definitely agree with you a lot of the nobel prize winners in the literary prize they yeah they're pretty abstract you know if you just go back to the more the, the last american uh, laureates like Toni Morrison, like her works are not easy to read at all. Um, and yet, I feel like the Nobel Prize, while it does not, you know, make the, the the writings easier, but they also give people a reason to uh, explore it or, you know, have people explain to other people why this is important, right? And maybe that can introduce them, ease them into a somewhat difficult uh, novelist um, or writer. That's what sort of like what I meant by like a, a celebrity because it's, it's generating that sort of interest, curiosity. Um, and I'm, yes, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you. And I think in terms of education, we need to think about it as you know trying to inspire students to to learn Shakespeare or or or, or fine art. There will always be a few each year who really love an enthusiastic teacher who can make a, a Midsummer Night's Dream or Constable's paintings come alive to them. And they'll want to go on to university to, to study uh, English literature or, or, or painting or something like that. There'll always be a few. So, But we, 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 we might think, you know, as educators, we need to be careful that we encourage uh, people rather than to, um, you know, leave them daunted by the task ahead of them. You know, some it is true that some of Dylan's words are very difficult to understand, and he does make a lot of references, for example, to religious ideas, which are quite inaccessible at first sight, particularly if you're not from a, a, a Christian background or a Jewish background, actually, because he draws on both both faiths uh, considerably in his work. Um, you know, but but some Dylan songs, I'll be your baby tonight. <laughs> well, you can imagine that's not a particularly complex uh, uh, starting point for an idea. It's about uh, cozying up to somebody, having a bottle of wine and sitting by the fire and putting your arms around each other and having a, a nice time together. Right, 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 for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess if we, uh, a, a, another aspect for me, uh, an effect of the Nobel Prize, perhaps, is also trigger a more in-depth uh, examination of an, an artist, right? Like, so, let's say Bob Dylan before the Literature Prize, maybe largely uh, people were studying him were from like the music studies or culture studies, but now you have, uh, you know, courses uh, are teaching like in English teaching uh, Bob Dylan um, in terms of like poetic approaches right like I'm, I'm teaching a course on popular lyrics next semester and yeah bob dylan's going to be one of the the songwriters in in the course and so there's a almost like a a, a justification right when he's winning a nobel prize although i mean there's also a danger right like when you are focusing him as a, a literary author like you mentioned we mentioned earlier you might risk um sort of ignoring 
the music side of things. Do, does that sort of bother you? Like, um, like when when you are discussing or explaining to people about like Bob Dylan's genius, like one of the questions you, you gave to me was like, are there songs that are that demonstrates his literary genius? Does that bother you when you explain to people? Because you can give certain quotes, right? Like you mentioned about the, the, the song you mentioned was like the more innocent one. What was that called again? Oh yeah, I'll be your baby. Tonight. I'll be your baby. Now the titles and the, just the words itself and what you mentioned earlier in terms of summary of the song seems a bit simplistic, but if you add it with the guitars and, you know, and all the instrumentation, does that change how you look at the song? Well, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that going back to Buddy Holly as well, right. I mean, that was, that was true of his music. Uh, the weatherman says clear today. He doesn't know you've gone away and it's raining. It's raining in my heart. But as soon as I read out raining in my heart, the song comes to mind. And it's the same with Dylan. You know, a great, great line of, of, of poetry from Visions of Johanna from 1966. If you read it out on the page, it sounds pretty good. Inside the museums, infinity goes up on trial. Visions echo. This is what salvation must be like after a while. But Mona Lisa must have had the highway blues. You can tell by the way she smiles. But as soon as, again, as I'm reading it, I can hear Dylan's voice. You can tell by the way she smiles. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it is inseparable, really, to hear his voice. The thing about him, though, and I've noticed this when I was preparing for this podcast, is the word I mm. appears in virtually all Dylan songs. The first person is used as the literary device over and over and over mm. again. But all kinds of eyes appear in Dylan's songs. I mean, you know, he says, I've killed people, I carry knives, I have guns, I create monsters. I A whole load of claims about this I go through the songs for the past 50 years. I wonder how many of them actually apply to Bob Dylan. And, you know, here's the great irony, Michael. In a sense, we know a lot about Dylan because he's up on stage 100 times a year. Uh, he's playing three shows this week in the United States. Um, he's written a book. He's got another book coming out later on this year about popular songs, actually. Uh, he's, he's released lots of records in which the word I appears. He's worked with a lot of musicians and producers over the years. But we still know so little about him. You know, he hasn't sat down and done a a, a a TV interview with a with 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 a major broadcaster for many many years. Um, he he spoke to his manager on camera about some of his ideas about songs, but that's a that's a different format. Um, and uh, you know, we don't really know where he lives, what his family situation is. Still very very private, actually, and that's one of the things that really intrigues people. But because he's private then it means that people um, sort of project onto him all these kind of magical qualities and turn him into a, 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 a genius or into a god or something like that. Um, and I, I think that could be quite a burden. For sure, for sure. Um, and when you mention about how there's this literary device of I that appears, you know, in all these songs, is is almost like he's creating this persona i mean like even bob dylan the name itself is a is like a stage name is a persona right um and so uh what i'm trying to drive at is like i feel like with the nobel prize um it's basically 
telling us, hey, if we're simply just limiting our understanding of literature to just words, the traditional forms such as novels or poetry or drama, then we are missing out on literary devices that are so creative in songwriting such as Bob Dylan's works. So that's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. Actually, no, and it, it's it would be worth doing if you were doing if you were studying literature at university. I, I did an English literature degree. It would be worth spending some time thinking about how choruses and middle eights work, um, how um, how songs progress, how na- how narrative is expressed in a song. Um, you know, particular tropes of rhyme. These are all quite important because actually, if you could use Dylan, and I, I have done actually, you know, if you use Dylan as your starting point. It gives you an appreciation of lyric writing in all kinds of different areas. Mm. Uh, you know, there's a rapper at the moment who I quite like called Lil Nas X. He's a good lyricist, actually. Uh, <laughs> very, different style, very different style of writing to Bob Dylan. But because I kind of learned something about songwriting when I studied Dylan, when I hear a Lil Nas X song, I think, oh, I can see some of the literary devices that have been put to use here, actually, in, in a different genre by a different type of musician. But, you know, as the Nobel Prize said, Bob, the citation said, you know, Bob Dylan is working in the uh, traditions of American song. And actually, even though he may not realize it, Lil Nas X is as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, yeah, the Old Town Road, right? Like, that's the song I know from him. But uh, yeah, <laughs> right. that is a brilliant song. Um <laughs> And it's just like, this is also an allegory because that song is also talking about like sort of a, a sexual intercourse of sorts. Uh, and, it's, and it's a fusion of different types of music, isn't it? It's true. a fusion of rap yeah. and country and Western. Exactly. Music. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, like uh, when the Nobel Prize in literature that was awarded to Bob Dylan, it sort of broke down or at least uh, uh, raised those questions, debates about, hey, how do we understand literature um, in the 21st century. Because one thing I was preparing for this podcast, it it came across my mind was that literature in a traditional form is pretty much obsolete to a lot of people, right? It's it's no longer the mainstream hobby that we do or the pastime. And yet the spirit of literature, right? Like we mentioned about the literature device and such, they still appear in all these popular cultural activities, whether that be Bob Dylan or Lil Nas X. So I feel like what the Nobel Prize here is doing is at the very least creating that debate by awarding it to Bob Dylan. Now, before I, I, I let you respond, I have like a follow-up question on that, um, which I, I really want to seek your advice on this, which is, do you think that if let's say the mission of the Swedish Academy, we don't know its mission or its intention for awarding the prize to Bob Dylan, aside from literary merits, but let's say their other intention. And the intention is we want to expand our understanding of literature. Um, Do you think that's the reason why Bob Dylan was selected because he's like the most suitable for that? Or do you think there are other songwriters that may also um, generate that similar debates or importance or attention to fulfill that objective, which is to expand our understanding of literature. 
Yeah, there are many songwriters who would fall into that category. And you think you can think of the more literary ones like uh, Joni Mitchell and, and, and Leonard Cohen, you know, Dylan's contemporaries, actually, who started writing in the 60s and continued recording in the 80s and, 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 and beyond. But I think if you were to choose one figure from contemporary music who was the most poetic, mm. it would have to be Dylan because of all those literary ideas that feed in um, and, and uh, you know, the way in which he'll quote from T.S. Eliot or uh, Ezra Pound, um, the way in which he'll, um, you know, sometimes take a, a sort of surrealistic approach. Other times uh, it'll be grander and more like um, traditional balladeering, uh, other times he'll be picking up on ideas from protest songs or country and Western or early blues or absolutely gospel music. Lots and lots of Dylan re songs refer to, to gospel, including, you know, from his most recent album. Um, so uh, I, I, I could I, I think if you if if the Nobel Prize Committee said, well, we're going to expand it and we're going to reward it to one songwriter and only one. It, the, the obvious choice is Dylan. And I think if he had given it to, say, Joni Mitchell, who's great, I love Joni Mitchell, people would have said, why did you give it to Joni Mitchell and not to Bob Dylan then? Mm. And the reason is, because although Joni Mitchell is great, you know, she was great from 1967 through till the early 80s, and then really her work's petered out and her public image has been quite... Uh, you know, she's been quite very, very private. She hasn't been sort of touring and making albums since the 80s. Whereas Dylan was on stage last night. He's right. Sure. I told you, he's writing a book, which is going to be published in September, about the popular song. Amazing. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's, he's 81 now. So he's still very active and doing a lot of things, as well as doing all the um, art as well, actually. He's very popular now as, a, as, 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 a, as an artist. He had um, a show of his uh, paintings that toured China before the lockdown. And it was one of the most popular art exhibitions in, in, in China in about 2018, I think. Yeah, yeah. And like you mentioned, like he's so prolific and also he has his hands or not just hands, right? Like he's basically a polymath, you know, like he paints, he writes books, criticism, he, he writes criticism, uh, essays. Yeah, songwriter, he's everything. And so I feel like the Literature Prize, if they want to expand what is literature, then you have to choose someone like Bob Dylan, who's like a polymath, right? Like if you want to blur the boundaries and really explode, you know, like how we understand literature. However, I have another question related to Bob Dylan's reaction that I want to ask you about is like, like you mentioned, he hesitated. What do you think, um, aside from just feeling a bit surprised about getting a Nobel Prize in literature, do you think there are other reasons for him to like hesitate? Do you, do you think so? There are other reasons. My, for example, what I'm thinking about is because he is even more famous than a Nobel Prize, I feel like, that he doesn't really need to subject himself to the rituals or the institutionalization of the Nobel Prize or specifically the Swedish Academy, right? He's just like, you're already so famous. So why do I need to bother myself with accepting a prize, delivering a lecture, et cetera, et cetera? Do you think that's the case as well? 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. He, he, I think them. It seems to me that although he was honoured and flattered to have been given the prize, he was reluctant to um, go through the rituals that are supposed to, you know, be established by this, uh, you know, group of Swedish academics. Uh, you know, standing in in a lecture theatre and 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 giving a speech and uh, uh, you know posing for the for the press and all that uh, that's not his that's not his environment which he which he enjoys actually at all he's definitely definitely wouldn't want to do a press conference now <laughs> yeah. great press conferences in the 1960s it's for kind sure. of a shame he doesn't because he was he, he teased the press but they they so misunderstood him um that's not how he communicates with the world anymore he did meet the Nobel Prize Committee in private, actually, and they said he was a very nice and charming mm. uh, guest, and he did deliver a speech. And I mean, people say, oh, well, that was a bit of a cheat then because he recorded the speech. But of course, the beautiful thing about that was that everybody got to, to, to see and hear the speech, uh, you know, which was written and performed, actually, on Dylan's own terms. Whereas if he'd just gone to Stockholm, I guess, you know, somebody might have put it onto a mobile phone or something like that. And, you know, some people would have watched it. But, but, but you know, he, he released it to the world, his speech. And uh, it's worth reading, actually. It wasn't, it wasn't about his own um, literature primarily. It was about uh, how he saw some famous books and he got quite uh, deeply into uh, the plot of uh, Moby Dick in his speech, which was something of a distraction. I mean, not everybody thought that uh, Dylan um, came across very well out of that incident. I think uh, there's a widespread feeling that Dylan rejected the Nobel Prize and that made him look rather ungrateful. <laughs> I have to say, though, you know, I'm a Dylan supporter and, I, and I, I'm assuming that uh, it was his reluctance to get caught up in the... Uh, in the razzmatazz of academia that put him off a bit. The thing that put me off, actually, very slightly, was that Sara Danius, who was the uh, person who announced that Dylan had won the prize, um, you know, sang his praises and said how wonderful he was. But, you know, afterwards, the press said to her, um, did you listen to Dylan then? And she said, well, you know, I've listened to some of him. I, I do love Dylan. I'm, in, I'm getting to enjoy him. And I mean, for a Dylan fan, that was like, no, not really. <laughs> it kind of reinforced my idea, which was you feel that you should listen to Dylan, don't you? In the same way that I feel that I probably should have read all of Charles Dickens' books, but I haven't yet. And yet one day I'll get round to it. And, you know, I saw a good adaptation of Nicholas Nickleby on the television a few years ago. Surely that's enough. <laughs> you know, uh, but on the other hand, if you're the Swedish Academy's permanent secretary and you're the person who stands up in front of the world's media to say how brilliant Dylan is, when the press say to you, could you name a few Dylan songs that you've enjoyed this week or when you were young or which albums have you bought recently <laughs> you should be ready with an answer i uh, really wow that was that, huh. they're usually more prepared for that because oftentimes <laughs> when they have these sort of interviews they do manage to you know name a few of the works and uh, some blurbs like they, they should be well prepared for that yeah this is quite awkward um i'm surprised if if that's really the case i guess that's also a hint of the a little bit of the the disconnect, you know, of of whether they truly appreciate Bob Dylan for his work, or they're using him for other purposes, like because 
the way I see it, it's like, I just repeated myself again, it's like they're using him to expand their understanding of literature. And that's something that in my project, I've been developing this argument, right? Is that um, we often look at the Nobel Prize as this global arbiter, like arbiter of global literature excellence. But in fact is no, like they are not doing a capable job and it's an, an, also impossible job as well. So there has to be other functions of the Nobel Prize aside from just saying you are the greatest writer, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so that's the way I, I'm looking at it. That's why when I look at the Bob Dylan Prize, I want to look at the use value of it, right? Like what other functions does giving the prize you know, the Bob Dylan would lead to? Um, and yeah, so that's also what my podcast title is about, like the cultural life, you know, um, aside from literary merits, what are the other functions of the Nobel Prize in Literature? Th that's the sort of the direction I'm heading, but maybe to change a little bit and going back to Bob Dylan, um, there's a question you gave me, which was, uh, has the prize changed Bob Dylan's approach to writing and performing? Um, so what do you think about that? Do you think he has changed? Like, has the Nobel Prize changed him? No, I don't think so. I mean, the, the, the main thing that Bob Dylan did after winning the Nobel Prize was to sing a lot of songs that were made famous by Frank Sinatra. Mm. Now, that's a funny thing to do, isn't it? But, I mean, you know, he made three albums in a row, one of which was a triple album with three discs in it of, you know, songs that Frank Sinatra sang in the 1940s and the 1950s. Well, I suppose you could say, actually, that was a, a, um, a reminder that Dylan works within the great American song tradition and sees himself as doing so, actually. But uh, he wasn't writing those songs. He was picking up songs that were written by other people. He's only released one album of his own original songs since he won the Nobel Prize, and that's uh, Rough and Rowdy Ways. Um, so there was actually quite a lot of continuity between Rough and Rowdy Ways and the album that came before it, which was uh, Tempest, which came out in 2012. I think the uh, literary style that Dylan is using now um, is he picks up lines from all kinds of different sources and fuses them together into these story songs. Um one of the things that he reflected on at some length was the uh, murder of John F. Kennedy, actually, um, on his last album. And I was struck actually thinking about that incident in 1963 back in New York when he said that he identified with Kennedy's killer leave Harvey Oswald. Dylan said that he'd been uptight like Oswald. Um, you know, <laughs> and he, I wonder whether this was his sort of idea about making amends, actually with something that had happened back in the 1960s. So I did wonder actually whether the concept of being offered a prize, being asked to give a speech, probably the problems that occurred uh, in 1963 when he gave a speech about John F. Kennedy, whether that had brought it all back to his mind and, and uh, fed into his songwriting imagination actually for the last album. It's well worth listening to actually, Rough and Rowdy Ways. It shows that... Uh, Dylan is still enjoying a very creative period of his life. Um, and uh, everybody who's seen the shows in America recently uh, says how energized they are as well with a great band. Now, yeah, you mentioned how he's still very much energized and that actually makes him a rather uh, unique Nobel laureate because 
um, in the literature prize tradition, at least, oftentimes there's this narrative of the kiss of death, right? When you win a Nobel Prize, you're in the twilight of your career, and essentially, uh, you're not expected to really produce anymore. And so, oftentimes, when they win a Nobel Prize, they have either have trouble writing because of the pressure, or they no longer have any inspiration or gas left in their creative tank. Whereas you mentioned how Bob Dylan is still as ever prolific after the Nobel Prize, so I think there's that、um, makes him a quite a unique Nobel laureate.、Um, another thing I want to maybe comment on is you mentioned how he maybe not have any there's any change by winning Nobel Prize, but maybe that's also because His whole career is all about change, right? Like, you obviously know, like he's gone through so many transformations. Do you think the Nobel Prize could serve as a catalyst for his change, or perhaps the Nobel Prize is just too insignificant for him to the point where it doesn't? No, I think it, no, I think it will make a change because、oh, I because、yeah? I because because I think I I think there is a point actually, which、yeah. is that he's writing a book or has、mm. written a book, which is coming out later this、okay. year about the art of the popular song. So I mean that was obviously something that was on his mind when he was、uh, trying to put together the、um, acceptance speech for the、uh, Nobel Prize. Now I don't think that was a great masterpiece of writing, the acceptance speech for the Nobel Prize. It looked a little bit hurried to me. Some people say it was from a、uh, copy from yeah, Spark Notes, right? Not, not, <laughs> they were absolutely right. He, he when he was trying to find out something about the plot of Moby Dick or or, or Homer. I think he just, you know, bought some、uh, notes that were used by students to 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 gen up for exams and read whole sentences out from those from those books. Really,、so, you know, he was in a bit of a hurry, actually. <laughs> you know, I mean, I have to say, as a journalist, there are a few times when I've borrowed lines from other sources <laughs> and tried to take them as my own work. So I can't criticise too much,、uh, and it has always been a bit of a. A bit of a thief、uh, to other people's、uh, phrases and ideas. That's been a characteristic of his work all the way back. But anyway, he has spent a number of months writing a book about the art of the popular song. We shall find out what it's like when it comes out、um, later on this year. I shall look forward to reading it the day it's published. Yeah. So I guess what you're saying is the Nobel Prize gave him sort of like this credibility or inspiration to go more academic. Would you say so? Like. Partly, the, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. He could have. I think that is that is plausible, actually,、yeah. because this is effectively an academic book. I, I, I'm reluctant to use that word because it's about popular song, but it is a book that analyzes popular song from the perspective of a a writer.、Mm-hmm. So, in that sense, it's probably an academic book.、Um, I'm just wondering, does he write a lot of like nonfiction commentaries or essays, stuff like that? No criticism. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. He he wrote his、uh, autobiography, Chronicles, Volume One,、uh, a few years ago.、Uh, that was that had that had great reviews. Actually, that's in the early two thousands that came out.、Uh, he wrote a book of、um, sort of surreal fiction. Poetry fiction back in the nineteen sixties called Tarantula, which is a bit of a difficult read, frankly. Um, but no, he hasn't published a lot apart from those things,、uh, and he doesn't write sort of Steve notes for his albums and things like that. So、uh, he doesn't give speeches.、Mm, yeah, so I guess the Nobel Prize perhaps would inspire him to be more reflective. As a sure,、critic. that was a rarity.、Yeah. It was、yeah. a rarity for him to write something like that at all. Yeah. 
people do talk about how um, uh, the Nobel lecture, which is uh, required, right, for every laureate, is it, it gives them a chance to um, be reflective about their own careers. And there's uh, this, um, someone has done like a study of it. And a lot of times these lectures are really just tracing how, like, like success stories, like how they came from, you know, uh, like nobody and then from this town and then they sort of developed and created and, uh, and believed in themselves, believed in the artistic vision. And then they reached this pinnacle of the literary hierarchy of sorts. Um, and yeah, so there's that level of um, uh, reflection. And there's also another function of the Nobel lecture, which is to allow the Nobel laureate to, in a way, uh, talk back, or at least to have their voice heard, because um, the Nobel Prize is not—they don't consult you whether they, if you want to accept no. the prize or not, right? Exactly. Yeah. So Dylan yeah. wasn't consulted; you wanted or not. Sure. Exactly. And so the Nobel lecture gives them this opportunity to say whatever they want, right? So, for example, like Wally Schoenkat, yeah, he he was very grateful. I believe he was very honored to receive the Nobel Prize, but then he also took his opportunity which is a Nobel lecture, and then actually uh, pretty much dismissed this whole Eurocentric literary circle, including the Nobel Prize as like very racist and Eurocentric and stuff like that. Um, so there's the Nobel Prize perhaps does inspire, you know, some even someone like Bob Dylan to, hey, maybe I can be more critical, like an observer of sorts. Um, now on the, maybe this final question I have, uh, which maybe we touched on a little bit already, which is about universities. Um, should universities be running more courses for students to study Bob Dylan and songwriters? Like him? What do you think about that? I like the idea if the uh, university teachers can make it fun, mm. make it enjoyable, um, and uh, give people a bit of a laugh when they're doing it. Uh, because, you know... Rock and roll stars never stand in the front of audiences um, and tell them not to talk and uh, show PowerPoint presentations. They get their message across with, um, you know, thunderously loud music and very strong emotion. And it's very, very important not to detach the exciting experience of, of, of watching a rock and roll show or listening to a loud record uh, from you know, from learning about how it might be done. I mean, obviously you need to, you know, if you want to look at the literary craft that Dylan uh, is employing, then then you do need to, to see uh, words printed on a page and you perhaps do need to look at how his words compare to those of other writers. But again, I go back to the idea of inspiring students to um, uh, enjoy taking part in Shakespeare plays at schools or, or, or universities. You want to do it in a way that makes it real to them. And so the, you know, the ideas that Shakespeare expressed about falling in love and being rejected and unrequited love and all those things, you know, touch young hearts. And I think it's the same with Dylan. Um, you know, if you're going to teach Bob Dylan in university, Try not to make him too remote uh, a, a, a figure. Um, you know, try to to give people the idea that um, you know they too could pick up a, a guitar and write a song, um, or uh, when they hear a, a pop record come onto the radio, 
as well as just the the pretty tune that they they might want to you know sing in a karaoke parlor they might want to think about um you know how the words were put together and 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 maybe then they'll be drawn to to other songs with with uh, meaningful lyrics so i think yeah i i see a place in universities um for for studying popular song including bob dylan but i do worry that uh it could be uh, a way of putting people off rather than drawing them closer into the music. I was just talking to my team about this and I feel like for a lot of people, maybe in like my, this, this generation of my students, they they probably see Bob Dylan as just like as remote as Shakespeare. You know, it's like, if you want to talk about pop music, they're not going to think about Bob Dylan. They're going to think about Justin Bieber, right? Or Aaron Grande, right? So um, to teach, like, if you want to teach pop music, then it seems like it's not exactly, I don't know, like people, like students aren't going to enroll in your course. And then if you're, you know, syllabus is about folk music, probably they they don't feel like they're in the, the right course. Um, and so, yeah, I agree with you. Like if this, instructor were to take on the task of teaching Bob Dylan it's definitely a difficult task right because like you mentioned not only do you need to have knowledge in the words like poetry but also in terms of music and also and also in terms of performance and also in terms of you know, the other things that he does like art and stuff like that so it, it requires a, a very multidisciplinary almost like a polymathic type of approach to teach Dylan, do you think so? Or yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I can, I'm going to wind things up shortly because I need to carry on with my with my other projects. But I mean, you mentioned Ariana Grande, so I mean, Ariana Grande's big song that everybody's talking about at the moment here is "God Is a Woman" because uh, she's launched a perfume, and there's a huge poster of Ariana Grande and the phrase "God Is a Woman" written on the main railway station in London at the moment. I mean, you know, it's a nice idea. God is a woman, and you know, uh, she can save the soul of her boyfriend. But, I mean, basically, it's about flogging perfume. Dylan takes on lots of different ideas about the identity of God, characters in the Bible, the nature of faith and salvation, what it means to, to be a believer, the, 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 the pain of doubt, the long, dark night of the soul. There's a lot there in Dylan's songs that you can get into. So it's great, of course, that people want to enjoy contemporary pop music but people aren't going to be sitting down and studying ariana grande in universities in 30 years time i mean i I may be contradicting myself here or maybe there's a paradox because in one sense i'm saying let's not burden dylan with too many uh titles and project too many expectations onto him on the other hand you know as somebody who has enjoyed bob dylan a lot has seen dylan live more than 50 times, has got all of Dylan's records, who's continually discovering new things about Dylan. I cannot but help but encourage young people to listen to Dylan. Pick up one of his records. See what it means to you. Enjoy the emotion. Enjoy the music. By all means, look at the literary devices, but uh, have fun with it because uh, this is a music that speaks to the heart. Thank you for listening, and we hope you have enjoyed this conversation. You can learn more about the cultural life of the Nobel Prize in Literature at nobelculturallife.wordpress.com. 
please also subscribe to our podcast on Spotify. The Cultural Life of the Nobel Prize in Literature podcast is hosted by Michael Kachi Chuk. The production team is Wilma Komala, Brian Chen, Sadie Wong, Audrey Chen, Selim Wong, and Gwen Wong. <laughs>